You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I'm your co-host, Pastor Josh, along with my sidekick, another co-host, Matt Shiles. Matt, hey, nice Orlando mug you got going on over there. Thank you. Yes, yeah. this is the uh, the where... What, what are these Is the You we Are Here collection okay. from Starbucks. Yes. So I have uh, an Orlando Magic mug, but that's not it. This is the City of Orlando mug. Yes. Yes. So I, I usually go, that's kind of a go-to mug for me, because if I break that mug, I can go replace it very easily. <laughs> so it's, it's hard to replace the Cambodia mug that I have. Yes. The France mug. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, I broke a North Carolina mug. Uh, you know, a couple of months. Actually, during COVID, I broke, I was doing some, I was I was working from home out on my porch, and I broke three mugs in a week. Oh, wow. Three mugs in a week? It was not a good week. It just happened. You know, you don't, it's hard to break mugs. It doesn't happen all the time, and it was just one of those weeks, but. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've only, I've only had two cups break on me, and one is a Las Vegas one. Okay. And somebody gave that to me because it, when when I was there years ago, I don't I don't even know if I was collecting them at that point. And then Texas, I I put coffee in it one day and it just broke. And I'm like, oh. things from Texas shouldn't break that easily, anyways. But it, it's a whole other thing. <laughs> I never know how we're uh, going to start these things. You never know. You yeah. never know. Well, it's good to be here. And wow, we started a new series this past week. It's part of our cultural engagement series, summer. And it's an A&E series, Hamilton Through the Eyes of the Gospel. So I'll let you take it away. Yeah, I think you're, ha- I think you're excited about this. So it's going to be fun over these weeks. Um, yeah, I did feel a little amped up more yeah. than usual, but I try to smile oh, more. Okay. I think that, well, I think that's even a song that says, talk less, smile more, or something like that. But uh, I did, because I want people, like, I'm really excited about it, because it's something that I really enjoy doing. Yeah. But, you know, I definitely felt like this past weekend's, at least the impetus of of the message, yeah, there was, I hope the conviction and the passion really came out because, yeah, I'm, it's something not only I enjoy doing, but very passionate about, you know, mm. about Jesus. Yeah. So. so this is Hamilton Through the Eyes of the Gospel, and this week was Hamilton with the less than sign, Jesus. Yep. Uh, June third and fourth, and uh, and for the scripture, I just put the gospels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, again, it was, it was supposed to be different, yeah. um, and again, the, the the series you'll see is is different. It takes on a a different nature, but the previous message that we we had before starting this series in Acts thirteen, how Paul engaged two different audiences in two different ways, like really kind of set it up to the nature that, I, that I listen, there might be times where I do set up a message differently. Mm. And so think about this as Paul engaging more of the, the his Gentile audience with less of a scriptural background, right? And so, yeah, it just lent itself for that. Yeah, and typically we have a main point. This week we had more of a main thesis, and you said, I want to take the logic of Lin-Manuel Miranda, the creator of Hamilton, 
in the creation of Hamilton and the celebration of Alexander Hamilton and use that same cultural logic on what we know about Jesus and see what conclusion we should arrive at if we are intellectually honest. Mm. So that's where we're going, and that's where you went, and we will end with with that conclusion and, and talk about that a bit. And for the outline, really, it was it was three parts. There was the the issues that we had to wrestle with mm-hmm. concerning culture, and those were three. Those were how we view culture. You talked about yeah. the sacred versus secular, which we'll get into. Um, you talked about how we process and think about culture, mm-hmm. um, and that's those C's, the create, celebrate, consume, critique, condemn, incite. And then finally, how we live in but not of the culture, and that's where we get the messy middle. Mm-hmm. So those are the issues that we have to wrestle with concerning culture, and those issue, issues will really um, help with with this whole summer, not yeah. just this week. It will help with the whole summer, really help with all of life. <laughs> so yeah. 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 And, then, and then the next two, you dug into the life of Hamilton, yep. and then we talked about the life of Jesus. Yep. It's a great breakdown. So the opener, um, if you listened last week, you heard Joe Curtis join us. And Pastor Josh, I'll have to say you were the bigger man because he forgot to bring you the carrot cake, but you still let him join. So the, <laughs> so the question of the hour, did he bring you man, the carrot Man, he did bring cake? me a carrot cake. And wow, Priscilla, you are an amazing cook. For carrot cake, at least I haven't <laughs> haven't tasted anything else since you've cooked. But Lord have mercy, that carrot cake I enjoyed, and it was a big it was a big piece, so I didn't eat it in one setting, but I did the 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 following morning after after I received it. I even took a slice of it and I crumbled it up and put it in my pancake pat batter. Really? Oh yeah, it was just so good. Yes, I, I do creative so things like that, so. I never knew you were that creative. Yes. Oh, you know, I know how to use leftovers, particularly when it's carrot cake. <laughs> so let's start with this uh, this first question. You said um, one of your deep passions in life is to help Christians engage culture better. Yeah. So how has this passion developed and deepened, especially I'm thinking about as culture continues to, to deviate seemingly faster and faster away from God's word? How has that developed and deepened for you? Well, so, I mean, again, this is years ago, and and part of my dissertation was this idea of how does the church, particularly in North America, engage culture better? Hmm. Because it has a, a history of not engaging well, and and it really even goes back to this understanding of really of God's mission, that if you're going to really engage culture well, you have to have a robust missiology. You need to understand what the mission of God is. You need to have a, a kind of a, at least a general overview of what I would call a rough eschatology. Like you, you, you don't have to know all the details about how the end times play out and what, what's going to happen. I mean, there's a lot of people who think that they know, but they, they don't even agree with one another. So like, do we know? No, we really don't. But here's what we do know Jesus is coming back. So he's going to set up his rule and reign here on planet Earth. That's why I love, I keep referencing and will always reference Revelation 21, mm-hmm. 22. Jesus is going to bring the new city down mm-hmm. and heaven and earth will 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 you know collide and it will be the new city. And so you will have actually heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. And then you also have a root, you have to have a rudimentary understanding of 
the government and the society in which you live, and here's the reason why, is because when you look at the Old Testament and New Testament, now sure, when God set up Israel in the promised land, yes, there was this this theocracy that was created where God was supposed to be king, Mm. even though they started instituting kings, but ultimately God, Yahweh, was king over Israel, And they were to be witnesses to the surrounding nations and ultimately world. Well, they they didn't actually serve the Lord very well. And God had told them that if you don't serve me well and you start chasing after other gods, I want to kick you out of land. Well, so eventually that happens. And in exile, and this is where it it really is meaningful to us as, as the church in the 21st century. So... So as as the Babylonians, and, and first the northern kingdom, they were conquered by Assyria, and then the, the southern kingdom, Judah, they eventually got conquered by the Babylonians. And so it really the Babylonians that hauled off many of the young elite kids off to Babylon. Well, and so now that's where when you read Daniel, when you, you read some of Jeremiah, you, you, you read these, these prophets during the exile. What you will find is that God never, you, well, you won't find. So, so even if you try to find, you're not going to find God telling the exiles, I want you to transform Babylon. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find that. But Babylon was sure, mm-hmm. surely trying to transform them. Mm-hmm. That was the whole reason why they were taking them out of their own homeland into Babylon is because they wanted to assimilate them into becoming great Babylonian Jews. Hmm. Now, what you actually see with people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that they engage culture well in at least three ways. One, in a preservative way. So there's this idea where Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he wants... He wants all of his wise men, magicians to interpret the dream, but they can't. So he's upset. And so he's going to kill them. Daniel is part of the wise men. And he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, don't kill them. But I'll I, don't kill them. Why? Because I, I'm going to interpret the message. Just give me the night. Well, I mean, when you look at it, here's a Jew been hauled off from his homeland to this foreign place. And all of these wise men who are Babylonians, can't do what the king is asking and the king's going to eliminate them, you would think to yourself like, man, that's great. Eliminate the enemy. Yeah. Eliminate even my competition. That would be, be great. Yeah. But Daniel says, no, preserve their life. Mm-hmm. So, so we're, we're going to act as a preservative piece. Uh, but, but when you look at, when, when, and, and again, the church has done a, a decent job at tr- at least trying to preserve peace and, you know, being for the least of these, the marginalized. But then there's a partnering piece too. Mm-hmm. But this partnering piece that they had uh, never infringed upon their distinction as the people of God. Mm-hmm. So the partnering piece that I'm, I'm even getting into is the fact that, that, that God in Jeremiah 29 tells them that they are to seek the peace, the total flourishing of the place in which God has sent them. The place again, Babylon. Yeah. Uh, the enemy, uh, the one that we read in Psalm uh, that took their babies, the Israelite babies, and dashed their heads against the rock. The, 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 the people that brutally murdered and came against them. Like So now the, the enemy, so-called, mm. 
is now supposed to be your partner in seeking the total flourishing of the city. So there's this partnering piece. So that's why Daniel and Shadrach and people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could actually serve within the government, which is, again, why I, I, I do believe that the Bible does not bifurcate, does not divorce, does not separate the sacred and the secular, because now you have this call that God has placed on their life to actually work for the good of of a nation that doesn't even know him. But then you have this proclamation piece, Mm -hmm. and it is a more prophetic witness that they are giving to Babylon because there were were times when what the, the government, what Nebuchadnezzar or eventually King Darius was going to ask these individuals to do was to infringe upon their faith. And so at the end of the day, they had to proclaim, like, no, Nebuchadnezzar, you are not ultimate authority. Yahweh is. We're not going to bow down to your idol. Uh, We are not going to cease to pray. And so they actually had to face the consequences. But God worked miraculously to actually change the status quo. So that's what I mean by engaging culture well. And 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 here in, in our and that's part of why I went into the idea that we're not we're not called to be culture warriors. Yeah. We're not trying to reclaim something. We're not we shouldn't be using the words fight against the larger culture. I mean again, God has never called us to do that because again you look at New Testament Jesus at the time that Jesus came on planet earth, Israel was not in charge of the promised land. The Roman Empire was. Jesus never said anything against the Roman Empire. In fact, it was very interesting when they tried to pit him up against the Roman Empire about paying taxes. What does he say? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's. I mean, so he he, he navigated the messy middle, but you, you know, he was the king. He was the cosmic king, and he even said that he could have brought a legion of angels with him to conquer, but he didn't. Mm. And then Paul, a Roman citizen who was also a a Jew, but traveled thousands of miles, and we have we have his writings, and we don't have all of his writings because there was a writing that he even referred to that we don't have because he did write to the church of Laodicea, but we don't have that letter. But but nowhere does he talk to Christians about overthrowing the Roman Empire. Mm. So we have to deal with that, and that's part of why in the message I said I will give those who want to say, well, the church, you know, they've done a lot of negative things. I'll give you that they have. Mm. They have misrepresented represented the Christ of the gospel, mischaracterized him through bad behavior, bad theology, and abuses of power. Like, they never should have done some of these things. And so so that's where I'm like, you, you know, we have to engage culture well. And uh, I know that was a long way, but I wanted yeah. to give a little bit more... Uh, that and eventually I will even do a series on exile because okay. I, I think one of the ways that if we're going to engage culture well, we have to have what I would call an exilic theology that we truly are exiles. This isn't our homeland. The only way that we would use words like our fighting, reclaim, and all of that is if we thought this was our home. Mm-hmm. But this isn't our home. Yeah, yeah, that was a great um, a great summary. A couple of things you touched on: the sacred versus secular, which I'll I'll ask that in a second. But let's look at the messy middle st- again. You um, you talked about God's not called us to be culture warriors, but witnesses to culture. And at least in the 11, um, I think people started clapping, and, and you just said, don't clap. Yeah. I'm not trying to create division. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, right now, I, well, I mean, I say right now, I mean, really for the last 
you know, 40, 50 years, there has been an element of culture warrior mentality around the church. Yeah. I mean, you have you have a group that was referred to as in the late 70s, 80s, and 90s, the moral majority. Yeah. And they they were culture, they, they kind of waged cultural war. And so I, I don't want to bring division. I, what I want to do is, in some sense, bring education. And so, and even now with a lot of what's happening in our culture, but if, but here's what I would say is both sides, both Republican and Democrat, if they were intellectually honest, they are waging a culture war. And where that even term came from was actually by a guy named James Davison Hunter in his book, Culture Wars, The Struggle to Define America. Mm. And in it, he actually unpacks really what's going on in America. And this was actually in the late um, late 80s mm. that he wrote this book in early 90s. Mm. And so what you have and, and what, what, this, what this, this division has done since the late 80s, early 90s, it has only grown more pronounced. We are more divided in, in terms of polars, you know, kind of polar opposites than, than we have been in, well, really ever. I mean, because even if you look at the founding fathers, there was a lot of division there. I mean, uh, uh, they, they, they got so mad at each other that they even dueled. Well, come on, we'll go out and we'll, we'll, we'll do a duel. I mean, so yeah. I mean, it's pretty ugly. Yeah. So, so Alexander Hamilton died. Yeah. And, and so we, we've always been, in some sense, this kind of divisive country where we're trying to wrestle with, you know, who America, you know, kind of is or what defines America. But even now more so, there really is this struggle to define who America is. Yeah. And so there is culture wars on both sides. And so that that's unfortunate because all that's going to do is just it's going to grow and more and more pronounced, which is why I believe the church we have to, we we actually have to promote not just for the sake of it to 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 do it, but actually have to really recover our own biblical theology of being a preservative, mm. uh, and also being an umpire that would call balls and strikes. But if we're choosing one side or over the other, it's hard to call balls and strikes uh, when yeah. when when you've already sided with someone. And so again, I'm not saying, you know, you can't be a Republican or you can't be I'm not saying that, but I'm just I really am trying to say the 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 church if we are going to enter into the messy middle in a culture that is in some sense at culture war with one another, uh we we really do have to maintain our distinctiveness and it's really 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 important for us to do that. Well, and where the messiness comes in is that if we are to maintain our distinctiveness, um, then then there will be this sense of um, you know calling out in some way, whether it's with our words or just our actions, the immorality that's happening all around us. Yeah. In order to so so there's that tension of like not waging war, but also um, you know bringing to light right God's word. Well, bring yeah. Well, I mean that's part of what we. So we are not called, and here's the thing: we are not called to transform mm. the culture, the community, the city, the nation in which God has planted us. We are called to to be 
the transforming witness of what God can do when you give your life to him. Mm -hmm. And as a corporate body called the church, we are now that embassy. We are that outpost. We are that city within a city. We are that light on the hill that shows what the inbreaking kingdom of God looks like. And yes, does that lead to some kind of transformation in the larger culture? I would argue it does. But if you lose your distinctiveness... If you lose the transforming power that should be in you and working through you as a people, then you have nothing to offer the larger culture anymore. And see, and that's part of the challenge that we're having today is that there is a lot of assimilation happening in the church, and they are being co-opted into the larger culture yeah. where there's no more distinctiveness. Yeah. And so again, if there's no more distinctiveness, then there's then we've lost our our prophetic witness. We've lost this this element of of the power of God on us because we're well we'll, we'll just cave into and that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do to the Israelites that he hauled off to Babylon is I'm going to assimilate them. I'm going to indoctrinate them. And that's exactly what you see in Daniel chapter one. He wanted to indoctrinate them. This is how you think. This is what you eat. This is what, and we're going to, we're going to transform you into a great Babylon, you know, Babylonian. And so, and that's what we're seeing today is we're seeing a lot of, we're seeing a lot of Christians become really good Babylonians mm-hmm. who 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 say I'm a Christian, but they act more like Babylon. Right. They think more like Babylon. Right. Their ethics are more like Babylon. Right. So one of the things I want to talk about, yeah, eh, you'll have to come to the king, the king message. When I say the king message, when I do, you'll be back message. Oh my goodness! Uh, like in two weeks. That's in two weeks. In two weeks, I, I can't. I cannot wait. Okay. So. Basically, I'll give you a teaser. It's, it's so hard. I'm sitting there. If you could be mad and see me right now, I'm like, I'm wanting to bust. But but here's the thing. Whoever your king is, you'll fight like your king. Oh. Whoever, yeah. Mm. Just And you're like, what does that mean? Come in a couple of weeks. You'll find out. Okay. I look forward to that. Well, and that, that really gets to this idea. I think the messy middle is also uh, connected to what you said, and then also the sacred and secular. So I want to talk about that yeah. for a second. So I think this concept is really one that's going to be hard for us as a culture to get away from. So, you know, how do we do that? I mean, that's something that, um, you know, me as, as someone on church staff wrestles with, and it's, um, you know, it's it's something that I know – um, individuals that um, you know that are in um, not in vocational ministry, they want to be in full time ministry, and sometimes there's this this wrestling of that. So how do we yeah. how do we continue to make progress, you know, for the church in that area to to lessen that um, that tension or that divide that we uh, we seem to see? Yeah, and I mean it was a good question where. My my answer would be that's where theology plays a huge role. Mm. Like you need to know your theology. Yeah. Uh, because if you just if you just believe what somebody told you, you, you know, then you you're bound to think, well, I need to, if I really want to serve the Lord, then I need to be on church staff. No, I like yeah. you don't know how many people over the you know over really the last ten years I've really tried to talk out of coming on staff at a church. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just 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 because you know again I'm. 
if that's what God's calling you to do, I don't I don't want you to well, not well, do what God called you to do. Well, you can't talk him out of it if that's what God's well, calling. Well, right, you to do, right. You know? But but that's where I feel like we do need teachers. Mm-hmm. We do need uh, plumbers. We do need lawyers. We do need like that's why I, like I love doing a retirement ceremony for one of the circuit court judges yeah. that's a member at Northland. So for 32 years, she served faithfully as a lawyer and then eventually mm-hmm. uh, a, a judge at, at a, obviously a very high level, circuit court judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but she brought her faith into that public – because here's the other thing, too, that, I, you know, this is always interesting that I always hear, especially, you know, in the last, I don't know, decade or so, we, we hear an argument being made, we don't need you to bring your faith into the public square. But you brought your faith into the public square because mm-hmm. if you go back to the quadrant that, that we, you know, we created where the, the quadrant of faith is worldview – mission, the object of your faith, ethics, and practices. And so when you look at even in in public service, they are approaching their public service through a worldview. They have a mission in their life. Now, maybe they don't know how to articulate it, but there is certainly a mission. Alexander Hamilton had a mission in life. He wanted to become somebody. Mm -hmm. He he wanted to rise up and get out of poverty. He wanted to make a name for himself. So so we see, like, you know, just from a song standpoint, like, that was his mission. There's an object. Everybody has an object. What, what, What is that object where everything else in their life revolves around? They have ethics. Um, last time I checked, laws, many of the laws go into the category of ethics and then practices. So so in some sense, to, to say don't bring your Christian faith into the public, like you're bringing your faith, whether it's an agnostic faith, an atheistic. So I read an article years ago. It was actually called it was called this the, the new state religion and it was agnosticism. Mm. You, you know, and so so what you really see being formed in in just America is really a new state religion. Mm. Um and, and this is where I would say that, you know, that that America is not a Christian nation. It was a nation founded upon Judeo-Christian values. Mm-hmm. And, and that would be a true statement. Like the guy I quoted from, Rodney Stark, in The Rise of Christianity. Mm-hmm. He also wrote a book, and I, I don't know the, the title, but he mapped out he, he mapped out the early the early decades of of Christianity in America. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we like to think, oh, America was so religious and and so Christian. He actually maps out it, it wasn't as Christian as you thought it was. Mm. I mean, you, you know, you even take some of the the founding fathers, like Thomas Jefferson. He's a deist. I mean, like, so sure, he he believes that there's some God up there, but on a cosmic journey and doesn't really interfere with human life. And so he even had his own Bible, which he had ripped out the entire Gospels anywhere miracles or supernatural yeah. events. Didn't believe in the the deity of Christ. I mean, so here he's a deist. Um, you have Benjamin Franklin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and George Whitfield were good friends, but you know I, he would be very much a, a deist. I mean, so so he's not a Christian. Mm-hmm. So at that time, though, in the West. Western world, everybody in some sense had a at least a common view of the world, even though it may not been biblically, as we would say, Christian. Sure. 
<laughs> so, but 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 this nation is founded upon Judeo-Christian values because they don't want the church to dictate how you worship or where you worship. Hmm. And so, but anyway, so Rodney Stark is talking about really just how how unchristian many people were in America. And so, so it was just it was just kind of fascinating, um, you, you know, kind of, kind of about that. I don't know where I was really going or what, where you know, I, I I got off on track on all these things. But maybe you learned some new little things that maybe you didn't even know. Yeah. I, but about secular, secular and sacred, yeah. and you know, it, let me just kind of draw back to that. Sure. Is that? But from a from a Christian and biblical standpoint. We do not see the the bifurcation yeah. of what we do personally, relationally, vocationally, and engage in the larger culture mm. as as a divide between secular and sacred. That what we see and what God has called human beings to do, which as Christians we have what we would call special revelation. Mm. Um then we now can engage in these spheres in a sacred manner. The only time that they, in some sense, become secular is when they're no longer for God's glory in our in our own life. Hmm. You know, and so, um, but but again, um, you, you know, we're we're not trying because here's the thing: we are not trying to transform the kingdom of man. Into the kingdom of God, they're they're two separate things. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. But are, so, but but we are called to bring transformation, and that's on an individual level. But you're saying not on a yeah. So that's why I always, whenever I show the overlap, yeah, they the the overlap is in the middle. Yeah. And so while we will bring about some micro transformations in the world, yeah. Like and that that see and that was the that that was all, 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 that was always the failure too of the church in the last two millennia when they thought that they needed to fight and you know even you, you talk about the you know kind of medieval ages where you you have you know Christians waging war mm-hmm. on on the enemy and, right. and trying to expand uh, right. the 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 kingdom right yeah. and so but it was but what was so what was so flawed about that is that we're flawed like we're flawed oh really like so if if we i mean cuz here's the thing when jesus when jesus redeemed us through his death and 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 resurrection he grafted us into the kingdom of god mm-hmm. like like we are now part of the already but not yet kingdom okay so so the kingdom is here but it's not fully present that that kingdom that he inaugurated the kingdom of god it will not be fully present until he comes back Right. So if we're trying to set up the the kingdom of God on you know when I say on our own without without him coming back already mm-hmm. it's this flawed mentality which leads to the abuse of power mm-hmm. because Jesus never forced anybody to believe that he was king hmm. which is going it's going to go to my king talk yeah. you, you know when you'll be back yeah and so so why in the world would his people try to in some sense conquer in a way that he didn't conquer when he first came. Hmm. So that's why when you look at the the you know the 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 circles of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, they 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 are supposed to overlap, but the overlap is the church. Right. Because we're we're not the kingdom. The church is not the kingdom. It's part of the kingdom, but it's not the kingdom. 
The church is in the world, but it's not of the world. But it, but if we can be a prophetic witness and show that all of life is sacred, mm. then we become this living testimony of what Jesus came to inaugurate mm-hmm. and will one day fully you know, consummate, complete, make full. So, so that, that's why the sacred and secular is really because we, we need to project because here, in, in every other realm, they really do divide it. Hmm. You, you know, it's, it's sacred is this, secular is this, where, where when you look at what God was doing, and that's why I love Genesis again, what, what God was doing in Genesis 1 and 2, he was creating a society that did nothing but glorify him. Everything revolved around him. That's why the creation mandate, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and exercise dominion. Those were commands that God gave Adam and Eve. So anything coming from the mouth of God that we should do that would glorify him, that's sacred. Hmm. And that's why an author by the name of G.K. Bill, so just the letter G, K and then B E A L E. He talks about how this this idea of Eden was an Edenic sanctuary or an Edenic temple. Mm-hmm. It is where the Shekinah glory of God mm-hmm. dwelt, and that was where Adam and Eve mm-hmm. were to live out this creation mandate. Ultimately, with the whole goal of creating a God glorifying mm-hmm. culture and civilization, mm-hmm. but they failed. So, so anywho, um, I, that, that's a lot about the sacred and secular, though. Yeah, it's really fascinating to think about, you know, when, when we try to uh, transform whole societies, you know, the kingdom of man, really what we're doing is we're trying to do something only Jesus can do when he comes back the second time. Yeah, because he, he will have given people a chance. He will, yeah. you know, that's why, you know, when Paul writes in 1 Timothy that, that uh, God's desire is for all men to be saved. And Peter, he, he talks about God's not willing any should perish, but all should come to knowledge. How did Jesus bring about that at his first coming? Because how, however Jesus did that at his first coming, that's what he wants his followers to do. Because he's coming on a white horse, yeah. and he's coming to judge the nations the second time. Yeah. So he really is, at that point in time, coming as a conquering king. The very thing that the Jews thought he was going to do the first time but but no, he had to come to save first. He had to come to redeem. He had to come to pay the sin debt. Mm. Yeah, that's the irony. I, I think what you're describing is, is, as Christians, we have fallen into a bit of wanting to do now what the Jews wanted Jesus to do, is conquer, where, where we need to follow Jesus, how he lived the first time as the suffering servant, as opposed to... Jesus, the conquering king, because we can't do what Jesus is the conquering king. Yeah, why would Jesus give us something that he did not do? When, when, when we are learning what it means to be human after his image and likeness. Hmm. So, I mean, that's why when he tells Peter, I mean, this is why like a message I preached months ago in our transition series, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, hmm. You had some of his disciples whip out some swords and start, you know, start, you know, uh, acting like they're like Luke Skywalker swinging a lightsaber, and then Peter cuts a guy's ear off. And Jesus, what does he tell him? Put your swords down and heals them. 
So why, if if Jesus told his disciples to put his sword, put their swords down, why in the world do we think that we're supposed to pick our swords up? Hmm. Like it makes no sense. Hmm. Jesus didn't even give us that way. Hmm. And, and so that means we need to put our verbal swords down. Yeah. Uh, we need to put our our, our fists down. Uh, we need to put our, you know, like our, the, the the verbal rhetoric, you know, down of fighting. and uh, uh, we, G- That's not how Jesus came the first time. Mm. And leave up the conquering mm. to him. So, uh, and he will. He, he, he's going to conquer. So that's why we need to be very faithful in telling people about when he comes back. Again, that's why the New Testament writers, they lived in light of eschatology. They knew he was coming back. And they kept on, just short time, short time. Let's endure persecution. I mean, again, why would he call us to persecute when he told us that we would be the ones being persecuted? Mm. So, again, it makes no sense for us to be on that offense, that kind of offense. Now, we are called to be on offense because he says... To Peter, based upon his confession that the gates of hell will not prevail. So we are to be on offense, mm-hmm. and you won't be able to stop the church, but it won't be because that they're waving physical weapons or verbal weapons. Right. It will be because they embody a prophetic existence, a prophetic witness of the inbreaking kingdom of God, and they will do in the world what Jesus did while he was in the world, and that's how the world, um, it, it, people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people group will be drawn to the king. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're describing is so much a, a paradigm shift, so... Um... I love that we're doing this for a couple months, and um, and yeah, everything that we just talked about is going to um, I, yeah. And so it's so funny. I was I was in a meeting just a you know right before yeah I came here, and we were talking about cultural engagement and that we haven't engaged, you know engaged well because we either assimilate or we attack. I mean, sure. Or some people just run away and retreat. Yeah. Okay. So, but I drew just a I mean. <laughs> Like a, a straight up line, and uh, I said, so so everything that I'm I'm like I'm sharing, it's an uphill climb, mm, and and right. here's why it's an uphill climb, and I want to flesh this out more, but the three particular reasons why it's an uphill climb: one, people are ignorant. So sorry, but people are ignorant; they they just don't know. Um, they, they don't want to read. They don't want to learn. And then it leads to the second thing is that because they're tribal meaning that they want to be in their own echo chamber. So they're not going to listen to dissenting voices. Uh, they want to, you know, that's why people listen to the talk shows that that's going to say what they want to hear. They're going to listen to the news you know, channels that they want to hear. They're going to read the authors that they want to hear. So they just want to be very tribal and homogenous. So they're ignorant. They're not going to learn what they need to learn to engage well. They're tribal. They're only going to hear from the people that they want to hear from. And then the third, you know, thing that's going uphill is the fact that you have to Constantly teach this because if I just say it, you know, if we just say it one time in one podcast or one sermon, it, it, it it's not going to take. I mean, this really does have to become a living, continuous theology. Again, that's why doctrine is so important mm-hmm. because great doctrine, great theology is applied doctrine, applied theology. And so, anyway, so th- those are th- those are three huge headwinds. Yeah. Um, you, you know, and because here's a here's a because it's part of the you know the tribalness is that if someone hears what I you know let's just say they hear the the statement that we're not called to be culture warriors but witnesses to culture and they immediately say no 
and then they get mad and they go off. That 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 here's me. That shows an ignorance, and that shows uh, that 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 shows their inability to even hear a dissenting voice or another side of something that they may have not never heard. Mm. And, and and so, but as Christians. And that's the reason why, like, I can't wait to our first TED series, you know, or like our, you know, really our first TED series, but the first message is why should we believe that the Bible is real, like, uh, are, are, are reliable and, and true? Uh, I mean, like, we're not just doing this blindly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, there, there's, there's reasons why we actually believe that the Bible is reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so... So, anyways, I mean, again, it goes back to an ignorance. I mean, so I, I don't want to be ignorant. And I don't want us to be ignorant. We should want to be. We we should want to be well read, well well versed. We we ought to listen to other voices. We ought to even listen to dissenting voices. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like I've really tried to process different religions, not uh, just how they think. Sure. Um, yes. And so, anyways, so I'm that, I'm like on a roll. You, you, you know, I'm just it's flowing. I'm I'm uh whatever. I'm spitting bars is what so. So Derwin told me that I said something like dropping bars, and he's like, "Bro, bro," he's like, "That is like you. You definitely showed your whiteness, man. You definitely showed your whiteness." And so it's he's like he said it's called spitting bars, and so I'm like, "Okay." So but to be fair, I heard you say that. I didn't know there was anything wrong with that. So. Yeah, yeah. So we're white. <laughs> um. So yeah, you're on a roll today. So that sounds like that that could be a good article. For another time, what you just laid out, the other yeah, about all the headwinds. So yeah, another one, another article that I really uh, I'm thinking about. I don't know if I'm going to say it. Okay. No, I'm going to move on. Okay, we'll move on. So so let's get into because we're 40 minutes in and we have okay. haven't really talked about Hamilton too much. No. But, so what's so important about this is obviously this is the first week of, of culture and, and um, this isn't something that you're just doing for fun. Yeah. So let me, yeah. So I'm, I'm sorry. I'm cutting you off. I'm on a roll, man. I know you are. So here's four reasons why we've done it. Okay. Okay. Cause I've just, again, just talked about it. Like, well, you know, what was your vision? Uh, number one, we desire diversity. Yeah. Like that's one of our core values. And so this, this play Actually embodies diversity. Yep. That's one of the, one of the creative elements and masterpieces of Lin Manuel Miranda's creation of of Hamilton. And so, so, so part of that is the genre. So, I, so while we're trying to work different types of style and genres into our our our, our worship band, like this kind of forced us to do that. Sure. Yeah. And so, so that was one thing that I wanted. So I wanted to show that, and then. Uh, two, it did kind of show that um, that again to eliminate the sacred and secular. That hey, we, we can celebrate this and we can cite it. Yeah. So that's two things. And just on a side note, uh, notice I never said conquer it. So that would you, you know. So anyways, they would, that's again that's God has not called us to do that. Yeah. So so we can celebrate it and we can cite it. Uh, so so it forced us into the diversity piece so that we can we, we can do it. We can do some diverse songs, um, and then the the idea of celebrating and citing culture, and then uh, two others, and I actually had examples of this. So I had a I had a had a guy come up um, in, in uh, a, what I call an oak, uh, so an older age kingdom saint uh, or oaks, older, older age kingdom saint. He came up to me almost in tears. I mean, actually, was holding back tears, and hmm. he said that that was just absolutely. Amazing, he said. I, I have uh, two, 
two grandchildren that are older that kind of drug us to Hamilton because they just love Hamilton, oh, but they don't know Jesus. And I'm, I'm wanting to send them this message, and just I just hope that they will they they'll just they'll just listen to it. And so that that's it. I mean, like I wanted people to be, help try to create that bridge. Like if you yeah. really love Hamilton, yeah. Then, then hey, we actually love it too. So we got that in common. Yeah. But let, let's kind of use Hamilton to try to connect the dot to, to Jesus. And yeah. so, but he was holding back tears because it was that impactful to him. Yeah. And then another guy came up to me and he's like, You opened up my eyes. He's like, I, I didn't think that you could even do this. Sure. You, you know, like, so you've, you've opened up my eyes that we can appreciate, you know, some, some cultural things and, and we can even, we can even process them to actually have conversation with people. And so he's like, thank you. And I'm like, that's it. So, the, so those are really the four reasons to drive us to diversity, to say, to tell us that we can, there are things in culture that we can celebrate and we can even cite for missional purposes. And then you know, it gives a really great bridge that if somebody wanted to use what we've done and go, man, I got a friend who loves this. Hey, will you just take a listen to this and tell them, tell me what you think? Right. And uh, because because uh, at the end of the day, like I, I'd love to hear feedback from someone who doesn't know Jesus and go, well, give me give me your you know, what, what's your pushback, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then how people can even use it to engage in organic, natural conversation. Mm-hmm. So th- those are really, um, and th- th- those really are the four reasons why 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 Hamilton. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, so you you laid out, um, you know, you you really talked through the whole um, the whole song Alexander Hamilton. One of the lines was he was longing for something to be a part of. Can you just talk a little bit about, um, you know, why we're Maybe you can even talk about this without quoting Genesis. This will be a challenge for you. Um, can you help us understand this longing that humans have had um, to be a part of something bigger than themselves? Well, I mean, if you think about the natural progression of civilization, it is to gather in a place and to build something. Hmm. Like, I mean, again, that that's just the natural inclination, and it's an innate mm-hmm. inclination that we have to gather somewhere and to build something. So when we find ourselves isolated, all alone, I mean, why do people join gangs? They they want to be part of something. Yep. They they want to actually be part of a family. They they want to be part of something where there's encouragement, there's support. Somebody's got my back. Mm. You know that we're actually building something. Mm. And so again, it's just an, an innate part of 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 being human. That we do long to be part of something, and and I do think that there is an element because we don't see it here, but longing for something to be part of. But he was also longing for greatness. Yeah, I mean, he knew he was a genius. Yeah, he knew something. I mean, like, and that's part of where when you see these songs, like there was one song I can't remember the the title of it. But he talks about how he's nineteen, but he doesn't write like he doesn't think like a nineteen year old. He thinks much uh, as an older, more mature person. Like, I mean, here's a guy who I mean, so he wanted to be not just part of something, but he wanted to be great. Well, again, that's something innate mm-hmm. because you have the sons of thunder. You know who the sons of thunder are. Uh, James and John. James and John, like Lord, when you when you usher in your kingdom, uh, we wanna we wanna sit on your right and your left. We wanna be great. And uh, Jesus actually did not rebuke them of 
even the notion of being great, he just redirected them. So this is an this is a way that we can critique culture. Okay. That we can say that it is okay to have ambition. Mm. It is okay to have a drive for success. Yeah. It's okay to want to be great. But let's critique it because in Jesus's estimation and definition of great, it's not what our culture says. So 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 we're going to say the underlying mm. the, the just the just the idea of 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 great and saying it like the, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. It's how you go about it, and it's your definition of it. So we're going to critique it. So that's something that we wouldn't even reject mm. or condemn culturally. What we're going to do is suggest a different way. And and so that's what he told James and said that you really don't know what you're asking. Yeah. And so, but but if you're going to be great, you've actually got to become less. Mm. You got to be a servant. Which then, you know, then it goes back to this whole idea of cultural engagement, that if we're going to win the culture, we are not going to war against it. We're going to serve it by seeking the total flourishing. Yeah. Booyah! I just dropped the mic. No, but yeah. But no, seriously, I guess it's, the, it's, it's, it's a way of thinking about it. And Well, and, and moving on to... Um the Life of Jesus, you quoted this, uh, this great quote by J. Warner Wallace, the book, A Person of Interest. You say, how is it possible that a single man, a man like Jesus, could have this impact? And you read this whole long quote, um, you know, came after you, you sharing um, what Jesus taught um, and what he did. But then this quote basically was his list of non-accomplishments, <laughs> things that, that he didn't do. And um, and what you just mentioned about um, you know we're here to serve and not to to wage war, you had um, you had you had encouraged us and challenged us. Um, hey, if we're having organic com- organic natural good conversations with friends, family, and, and members, you know, family members, colleagues, pose that question in an honest way. Um, there's really a difference between posing that type of question in an honest way than posing it as a way where you're just trying to win an argument, isn't there? Yeah, because <laughs> we have, and this is part of, like, just think of a, a strategy. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, think about chess. Mm-hmm. Do you play chess? I, yeah, I did play chess. I, I learned chess in middle school. Okay. And so I still know how you can use all of the little yeah. little. Pieces. I play so. chess online with my buddy, and I've been trying to challenge Pastor Gus. Oh, nice! He grew up playing chess. Did he? And he is. He won't play me. He won't. He hasn't played in so long. Anyways, that's a okay. Side. So yeah. maybe we yeah. can we okay. need to challenge him. Yeah. So, so, but just think of strategy. For so long, the church has, in some sense, assumed a position of defense. Okay. That the you know the culture has bombarded us with why you know like. How do you know? How you know? And like all of that. Like, so in some sense, they've played more of the offense. Mm. And so we felt like, and that's part of most of the apologetics, you, you know, that we have come to know, they're all defensive apologetics. Yeah. How do we answer common questions? Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I, th- I think that's a, I, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. And again, I think we, we ought to have a defense of, of, of our faith. But the onus too is on the culture of a question like this. How is it? Hmm. So I'm 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 asking a serious question. How is it that a single man, 
that if you say he's not God, like, because again, um, no, no one else, no one else in the history, Alexander the Great, no. I mean, again, we know him, he's famous, and, and sure, there are some, there are some people that have made a huge impact but not to the degree. Like, no one's going around worshiping Alexander Hamilton. No one's going around and in, in, in some sense, um, you, you know, uh, worshiping the, the mythological gods of the, the Greek and the Roman Empire. Yeah. Uh, now, I know that we have some religions that, like Hinduism, they worship a, plet- a, a pantheon of gods. The, the closest um, thing we have would be Islam. It was Islam, and but 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 here's another thing. This is a very, a very interesting part. Like so, one they're, they're they're actually going to say that Jesus is a very significant yes. prophet. So again, they're not even discounting the fact that you know he he uh, you know they're not discounting the fact that he lived. Like so, yeah. like they believe he did, right. and that he's significant. Yeah. But uh, how many authors does the Quran have? One. And then when you look at the Bible, so you have one person. Muhammad. And when the Bible, see, the Bible is actually going to talk about that if you're going to look at the, uh, if something or not is true, how many witnesses do you need? Two. Two or three. Yeah. And so when you look at the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, a span of, and this is part of where I would get out into the, the the message in the 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 first message message in the TED series yeah. is that you have a you have a span of over fifteen hundred years Genesis to Revelation. You have, uh, and I think it's nine authors in just the New Testament. I think is what I again don't quote me on it, but I think it's nine nine authors. I didn't even I didn't even um, count how many authors in the Old Testament. But I know that there is 66 books, 27 books in the New Testament, which would leave how many in the old? Uh, 39. Yeah. And I so, think uh, 40 plus authors. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, in a span of 1,500 years. Yeah. I think you have multiple witnesses there. Oh, yeah. Uh, see, that's where Mormonism falls flat. Yeah. Because the Book of Mormon was written by one man, Joseph, Joseph Smith. Smith. Yeah. You know, and so, but, but here's the thing. Muhammad's not claiming that he's God. No, and Joseph Smith is not claiming that he's God. Uh, but what we actually do have in the Bible is that uh, Jesus claims to be God, and you have multiple people writing about it. So I mean, th- those are just some instances where, yeah, like, so you still have to face the fact. So how does this one man really change the course of history? Mm. Um, and I'm I'm willing to hear your theories. Yeah, right. But you you got to wrestle with that one. Yep. And you can't say, well, he that's just fictitional. Let me tell you, like, Harry Potter is a fictitious character and has a really huge following in terms of just people who want to come to Universal and yeah. ride the Hogwarts Express and dress like Harry Potter. But no one's out there doing magic. Mm. No one's out there, you, you, you know, uh, well, I'm trying to think of one of the one of the little uh, things. that, But yeah, yeah, there you go. I mean, no, no one's doing that. So, okay, thank you. So it's not fictitious. Like there are people who are literally in 2,000 years, they, their lives have completely been revolutionized. Mm. Uh, societies and nations. Like, mm. so... 
We just have to deal with it. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting point we did talk about. I hadn't considered that most of the time our apologetics are focused on defense, and it is and it is interesting to then pose a question um, that is on offense, but it is done in a uh, well-meaning way, right? Yeah. A curious, well-meaning, not a get you kind, gotcha type of way. Yeah, that's where this idea of relational evangelism. That's why relationships would be yeah. so important because you're just you're just questioning and being inquisitive yeah. about uh, the logic that's at play. Yeah. Well, and so uh, another form of apologetics is narrative apologetics. Okay. And I learned about this form from a book called Telling a Better Story by Joshua Chatraw, C-H-A-T-R-A-W. And what I did actually this past weekend, that was a form of narrative apologetics. Yeah. I went through the narrative of the Gospels, yeah. and I gave you the story of Jesus in his own words. This, this is a narrative. So we covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time. Uh, another message that I will do uh, in this series is a narrative apologetics. Mm. It's giving you a larger framework, but it's a story. Mm. Uh, with a conclusion, like and with Jesus, here's the beginning, here's the middle, here's his end. But actually, his end wasn't the end. It's a living legacy. Mm. And so according to according to the scriptures. Uh, and and so so one of the things that apologetically we can do in, as we engage culture is a, a post, a really a post-Christian, post-modern world, they have lost a meta-narrative. They have actually lost a larger story in which to understand theirs, which is why you see so much confusion. You see so much chaos. And now there's this focus on, again, like here's another thing about uh, critiquing culture. Like I, I made a statement that Jesus, he actually did pave the pathway to individual rights and freedom. So think about how the majority of, of in the in the majority of of the world and throughout history, what your what your family was is what you would would be. So you know, in Jesus' case, his father was a carpenter. That's what you should have been. He should have been a carpenter. Yeah. I mean, even all the way up to, I mean, again, even the 17, 1800s, like whatever your family was, if your family was wealthy, you just was born into elite. You couldn't even write, you couldn't do what Alexander Hamilton did, which is why mm-hmm. Miranda is trying to celebrate him. Here's a guy, that's what he should, he, he should have just died in poverty. Mm-hmm. But he was one of the lucky few that came out. And that's why he was also insecure throughout his entire life is because he never felt like he measured up. But nevertheless, think about what Jesus. So Jesus should have been a carpenter, but but he actually became a rabbi. He actually became a teacher. So just from a human standpoint, Mm. he he broke cultural norms. Mm. And and, and so so he actually paved the pathway for individual rights and freedom within the context of God's economy, his kingdom. But you take individual rights and freedom now, it really leads to anarchy because there's no center, there's no overarching narrative, there's no there, there's no kind of framework for morals anymore. Like whatever whatever an individual wants, like I want to be able to do this. Well, then I, I, I should be able to do this when I want, how I want, and no one should be able to tell me no. Well, then again, society, like if a society operated on Uber – hyper individualism all it does is lead to anarchy yeah. it, it leads nowhere good 
Mm. I mean, so there's a critique there. Mm. Uh, so here's a good thing, but you've abused it, which is ultimately what the fall does, is that you take that which is good, mm. whether it could be like alcohol, it could be food, and you can abuse it. You can eat too much. You can consume too much. You can you you can uh, weight the scales to individual rights and freedom, and it leads to anarchy. Mm. And so, anyways, um, again, like you can tell, like I this is this is what I, I don't want to say I eat, drink, sleep, and breathe cultural engagement, but th- th- these are so, th- these are so important to understand. Mm. But but if you don't have a solid, robust theology, you're dev- you're never you're never going to understand them. Yeah, so as we wrap up, yeah. I want us to end with the conclusion. All right. Um, so the conclusion we should arrive at was the entire world, people living from people from every nation, tribe, and tongue should worship Jesus of Nazareth because his life, works, and living legacy single-handedly gave birth to a new creation. Yeah, and I, you know, after you know, after putting that up, you know, I want people to digest that. But but this was the this was in some sense the even the stronger statement is anything less than this. Yeah, would devalue and disregard who Jesus said he was, who he is, and who he always will be. Yeah, like so. So I hope and pray that that particular message. I hope it deepened our faith. Mm. I hope it makes our faith even more real. I, I I hope and pray that we we will have even more confidence in the in the God we worship, who has revealed Himself to us as Jesus mm. of Nazareth. Mm. And so, because it is anything less, anything less. So that's where Jesus He not only deserves, this is the thing, he not only deserves, but from his own mouth, he actually demands. And he, he demands our ultimate allegiance, allegiance, devotion, and love. That's why you know he said, anyone who's willing to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so I don't even know if I even put that up in one of the slides, to be honest. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you're talking about his followers elevated the game. I mean, I guess you can, you know, factor that into elevating the, you know, kind of the game. Uh, is that all right? If you're going to follow him, you got to you got to die to yourself because it becomes all about him. Mm-hmm. So Jesus isn't just part of your life. Mm. Like so, he didn't come so you can be part so that that he can just be part of your life. Where oh, I'm going to go and worship Jesus on the weekend, and then uh, you know Monday through Saturday, I'm going to live any way I want to. No, no, he, every day. Well, if we really grasp that, then I think the sacred secular takes care of itself. Yes, yes, yep, yep, absolutely, absolutely. So, what did you think overall about about the about the first? Alexander Hamilton message and connecting the dots and oh I thought it was awesome. I mean I you know I'm a fan of of Hamilton. We we saw it on Disney Plus. Um it's it's hard to not just sing the songs all the time. Um but what I'm hopeful for and I'm I'm really excited about this first message. I'm I'm hopeful that we we see this as an opportunity, um, just an example, as an opportunity to do it for whatever we love, you know, yeah. whether people love it or not, whether people know about it, right? This is just an example. Uh, it's a really um, important example for the reasons you laid out, yeah. but it's just one example. 
I, you know, we could have done this over each okay. one of us could pick 20 different things Absolutely. that we're interested in that are important in culture. Um, but this is one that has risen to a status that is, um, you know, hopefully um, important enough that, like you said, we, we will have people in our life that um, that are far from Jesus, but are also you know, yeah. fans of, of this culture, cultural phenomenon, and, and we can we can yeah. engage them yeah. in various ways. So, Absolutely. Well, good deal. Well, Northland family and friends, thank you so, so, so much for tuning in for another episode of Extra Takes, your deeply loved blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.